0: Welcome to Politics Done Differently, a no-frills political podcast for the everyday voter, aiming to engage Australians in the political agenda, hosted by Katarina Sullivan, businesswoman, award-winning sustainability expert, and political junkie.
1: This episode of Politics Done Differently is brought to you by Strategic Sustainability Consultants, an Australian-based consultancy working with businesses, governments and not-for-profits to assist them in becoming economically, socially and environmentally sustainable. Welcome to another episode of Politics Done Differently. Today I am back in ACT Legislative Assembly with Mrs Vicky Dunn who is a Liberal member in the Legislative Assembly here. She's also the Shadow Minister for Arts and Shadow Minister for Health. So welcome Mrs Dunn to the podcast. Thank you
2: very much for having me. This is a bit exciting.
1: Yes, we're very excited to have you on board because we've heard in our last episode with Andrew Wall that you were quite instrumental in the Modern Slavery Act and we'd love to hear more about your work with
2: that. Well, I came to the issue of modern slavery in about 2002, 2003. There was quite a notorious case that went through the coroner's courts in New South Wales of a a Thai woman who had been brought to Australia and had been handed around the the brothels in Sydney and Melbourne and Canberra um, over a long period of time and was eventually discovered um, and being made ready for deportation and she died in um, deportation detention awaiting deportation from a whole combination of extraordinary ill health brought about by uh, what I think the coroner's court calculated was up to 15 years of neglect and abuse and um, just an appalling story and that, that sort of got me interested in the subject and over many years um, through the um, Liberal Party Federal Council um, the, the ACT Liberal women and more generally women in the, in the Liberal Party movement started to move motions in relation to um, modern slavery um, to free up the sort of visa provisions to ensure that people like this young woman young Thai women weren't automatically deported, that they were given um, an opportunity to, to settle in Australia to give evidence against their traffickers in the first instance, if that was possible. Um, it, we made it very clear that this wasn't, you know, this wasn't queue jumping or, or other sorts of irregular arrival. These people were brought here usually under duress or under false pretenses and were badly treated at the hands of Australians and others. And so that was a very important... There were a number of motions which culminated in about 2012, 2013, where unanimously the Liberal Party Federal Council passed a, a motion to, um, to inquire into, with an institute, a, a Modern Slavery Act. Um, and that was um, that was done um, when the federal uh, when when we came to power. There was a a, um, a joint inquiry which was headed by um, uh, a a liberal member of parliament. Uh, they had a lot of discussion and consultation with the UK modern slavery commissioner at the time, and and the act was passed uh, into law about 18 months ago. It's not perfect, um, and there are things about it that that, uh, could be better, but it is a a big step along the way. And just to have a piece of legislation that actually recognises that there is such a thing in the 21st century as slavery, and that there are classes of people who are trafficked for the purposes of slavery, um, and wage theft and forced marriage, uh, is a very important um, recognition I think that people sort of think that you know, slavery went out in the, the 19th century you know William Wilberforce put it all to bed he did for a time but uh, but it, you know it is a it is an ongoing issue and I think that that the legislation that we have which is, Similar, but not the same as the UK legislation is, is as good as we could get it at the time. But I think that there are there are other things that, that need to be done in this space. Um, I think that, and this testament was paid to the work of liberal women across the country in, in, getting this on the agenda and and, and and speaking, truth to power, so that you know men in the liberal party. 't didn't balk, didn't balk in, in the end and I was really proud of the, the motion that I moved that it was it was um, it was supported by a, um, a male um, a co co-signed by a, a male member of the South Australian Parliament and, and that it ceased to become a women's issue it became an issue that people in Parliament should be concerned about and
1: I think the really interesting thing about that story is that I don't know if people always realize that as a member for legislative assembly, you're still taking action on issues that affect the entire country and you can have some influence on federal. Look, decisions. I, I think that
2: that's the case and we, we had influence through the the party structures. Um and it was, you know, clearly an important enough issue that the party um got on board with that at a at a federal at a federal level. They didn't have to, but they did. Uh, and I think that because there had been um, probably a over the course of ten years, I say so, probably four, maybe five motions about around the issue, mm-hmm. that it was it became a persistent and, and fairly com- common theme, which was widely supported um, by uh, the voting members of the federal council. So, look, it was you know the, the, it became an issue that was common before the federal council, and over time we sort of built it up. And I, you know, that you know, I I think to some way yeah, I could say I was a sort of a midwife or a handmaiden to that to that happening, and you know, I'm I'm proud of that. There are lots of issues that, yes, I spend most of my time talking about issues that are relevant to the people of the ACT, and most people in the ACT wouldn't necessarily come up against um, people who've been trafficked, but they might. There are mm-hmm. places in in the ACT where there may be issues of of trafficking. Um, and because this is a, a small parliament, it doesn't mean that that um, we just don't say well we don't we ignore stuff outside. You know these things, these things do impinge on our lives. And the thing that the issue that, that coronial inquiry made it perfectly clear that that woman had been trafficked through brothels in the ACT.
0: Yep.
2: Um, and so that you know people in the ACT had come in time she may have been abused by people in the act
1: and i think what you mentioned before about the party's position and the party being instrumental in that motion and eventually the bill being put into legislation i think you know we see a massive increase of independent and minor parties coming through australia but we're forgetting what an advantage it is to belong to a major party that you can have those kind of influences.
2: Look, I think that that's right. I mean, um, yes, pe- there are people across the board who have, you know, they have their constituency work to do, but they have other interests, and um, and that might be in foreign affairs or child welfare or something like that, or they're they're, they're concerned about, um, you know, the the way you know. Um, people in Africa are sort of receiving aid or whether the aid is appropriate in Africa, all of those things and being a member of a party, you can bring those issues to your party. You have a sounding board um, uh, as well and you can often create um, coalitions of, of, of people who are interested in this and I think that there is a, a lot to be said for larger parliaments. We don't have it here because we're we're just a small parliament, but the sort of all-party group on insert significant issue, you know, religious freedom, uh, trafficking, prostitution, aid, all of those sorts of things, are very important things. And it's not just that your own, it's not just your own party allegiances, but you can actually build alliances across the corridor, as they say, uh, across the aisle, so that you get. Um, a better outcome. I actually think that what we saw with the the uh, inquiry into um, the Modern Slavery Act was that there was, before they started out, there was general agreement across the parties that this was something that we needed to do. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a sort of hand-to-hand combat about whether or not we should do it. It was really a discussion about how do we do it as well as we can.
1: Yeah and those moments seem to be few and far between in well, politics i think
2: actually that they are there often mm-hmm. and that they are then but they're not sexy yep. it's not sexy to say oh look there's been an outbreak of love between the labor party and the liberal party and they agree on this or that or the other that's not you know it, it, that doesn't make news yeah
1: and something that we talk about a lot on this podcast is the media's role in people's willing um unwillingness I guess to be engaged in the political discussion because they see a lot of fighting between the two parties mm. and they think it 's just <clears throat> all too dramatic and they don 't want any part and what are we actually doing to make the world a better place and that 's what we 're trying to solve here with well, this I, I
2: suspect that, that with modern media and various different ways of accessing you can actually. Sort of do long form research into and and investigation into things, whereas the sort of the twi- there is a problem with the twenty four hour news cycle. Twenty four hour news cycle often doesn't have very many news items in it because the I mean the people who do Sky News or News Twenty Four or uh, you, you, there's actually a very short rotation of mm-hmm. items that they run, and you know after an hour or so one might drop off and a new one comes in, but. It's very repetitive because they have to fill the space and and but it, it, it doesn't actually give you the opportunity to do, you know, a, a sort of a longer in-depth discussion about something. But the capacity for podcasting and access through social media does allow people um to to do research and and look at the pros and cons of a, of a particular issue and it might be a niche market for you know a thousand people or a hundred thousand people or something like that and it, it may not get mass consumption but it is a it there is the capacity for people who are interested to create a platform for more in-depth discussion and that gives you an opportunity to look at the issues which are Difficult, but not as controversial and sort of in your face, and so that there are issues like, you know, know, this one, the the modern slavery one, but you know things like, and I was thinking about it a lot this week. I mean, there is there are issues with say, um, uh, Australia's fuel security, which has Mm -hmm. been a bit topical, And instead of people going, you know, hell for leather, you know, he said, she said. the government is bad because they haven't done this, and the opposition is bad because they didn't do. It. Let's let's sort of find a way of saying, okay, this is a problem. What are the what are the solutions to the problem? I mean, it's a problem because we don't we import almost all of our our oils oil supplies fully um, um, fully uh, distilled and and prepared in another country. We don't have a refining capacity in the country um, and we don't have you know vast, um, diverse oil reserves in the country and that makes us vulnerable. But instead of sort of doing he said, she said stuff, why don't we sit down and actually have a rational discussion about what are the five best answers? Because there's no one simple answer to, to any question.
1: No. What do you think is the difficulty that prevents us to get to that? discussion that's moving us forward or is that just something that's perceived through I think the
2: media per- i think it's perceived it's a perception across the board that government is about the theater of disagreement mm-hmm. and controversy rather than getting on with doing the job and so that and there isn't a great mechanism for for sort of Having the capacity to say, "Here is a problem. How do we collectively deal with it?"
1: Yeah, and I think inquiries, like you were talking about the inquiry into modern slavery, mm. they're a great place mm. to start. And
2: and it's very interesting actually because, I mean, I'm in here in the ACT Legislative Assembly. I've been here for I'm in mean, my 18th year, and I've been on a lot of committees. And it's interesting actually that two or three times lately other members of committees from the other side have said to me in relation to a whole range of committees this is a really great committee because it does really good and interesting stuff mm-hmm. and because and and and, the, and i think that they especially new members come on thinking that it's going to be sort of hand-to-hand combat and mm-hmm. it isn't mm-hmm. um and that you know the the things that that unite us are often much more numerous than the things that divide us and when mm-hmm. we when you're in a when you're in say a committee process where the thing is here is a problem how should we address this problem no one's got any sort of skin in the game for a particular outcome um they've actually got a they've actually got a commitment to getting an outcome and it's it is actually really interesting to see how well people work mm-hmm. i think that we just don't do enough committee work
1: yeah, yeah. and do you find, given that the ACT is set up a bit differently, that we have five representatives per electorate, mm-hmm. do you find that you work quite collaboratively with those representatives, even the ones from other parties, or do you find it still very much...?
2: It's a bit us and... It's still pretty much us and them. I mean, you know, the the Labor Party people go out with their guys and I go out with, with, with my colleague, Elizabeth Kicker, and we do stuff together, and there's sometimes... Not a great deal of, of cross fertilisation. I mean, we'll go to events together and be nice to each other and things like that. But I, I still, I still think that there is more scope for that collaborative approach. And I have, I have reflected in the last little while that I think that, in the chamber. In the ACT Legislative Assembly, it is less collaborative than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think committees are. Probably fairly collaborative at the moment but you know the last term for a while they were terrible they were quite sort of um, there was not much work being done and it was it was pretty hand-to-hand combat which was not very edifying Um, I think that and I've I've said this often I think that um, probably two or three terms ago when we had a large crossbench which was diverse so you would have had Greens and you would have had more conservative people and, um, uh, on, on, the, on the crossbench and they weren't a single block, a single voting block, that you could, um, just about anyone could get legislation through, a member of the crossbench, a member of the opposition, as well as the government. But every time you needed to get legislation through, you needed to negotiate that. I don't think negotiation is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes you end up with better... Legislation and some legislation that we've passed in the ACT has been very good legislation, made better by cross bench and and non government input. But um, you know, you know, if if you can be assured of the numbers, well then you you get a sort of you know you get a sort of natural and inbuilt arrogance. I don't have to talk to you about it. Um, I don't have to consider whether your view or suggestion is a good one. Or um, because I can get it through without that, and that doesn't necessarily make for good legislation.
1: Yeah. And you said before that you've this is your eighteenth year. It's mm-hmm. also your fortieth year in Canberra, I believe. It's yes, yeah. yes. I've been yes.
2: I came to Canberra in nineteen seventy nine. So yes, it is yeah. my fortieth year in Canberra. I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere
0: else. Yeah. Oh, well. mm.
1: And what was the decision? Because you were in the public service beforehand. What was the deciding factor that made you get into politics?
2: Look, it was a gradual thing. I've always been interested in politics. I grew up in a family which was always interested in politics, but a different sort of politics than I'm involved in now. I think my parents have come to the, have, have reconciled the fact that I joined the Liberal Party, um, and it was a long that was a long sort of discerning process. Um, and then I did join. The Liberal Party and I spent a lot of time just being an active member um, campaigning going to branch meetings being involved in policy etc and I sort of took an opportunity to come and work in in the Legislative Assembly for um, a minister back in 1996 and I've been here ever since um, and that was a sort of a long sort of iterative process. I've been a member of the, the Liberal Party for 35 years or thereabouts. So, oh, yeah. wow. Mm. So
1: you joined
2: when you were quite young? Oh, uh, not quite young. I was, mm. you know, I was sort of married and had kids by then. I was never in the young liberal movement or anything like that. Mm. Um, um, and I was I was involved in student politics at um, at university, but not in a sort of not in that sort of formal way, I was, I participated, but I was not, you know, I was, you know, I wasn't in the Labour Club or the Liberal Club, and, but there were sort of other opportunities to be involved without sort of being sort of formally aligned, and, you know, that I wasn't sort of, there wasn't much by way of a Liberal Club, because I went to a country university, I wasn't quite sort of young Nat material, and I, but I certainly wasn't young Labour material, either. No. That young Labour on that particular campus was extremely left, and um, and yeah, not just not my just not my cup of tea. Yeah,
1: and a lot of people will end up voting the way that their parents voted and end up sort of going along with what mom and dad went with. But you went a different path. Yeah. Why was that? Oh look,
2: <laughs> it's very interesting actually because you know. People, a lot of people say, you know, I joined the Labor Party because of Gough Whitlam. Well, actually, I left my Labor affiliations behind because mm-hmm. of Gough Whitlam. And I remember um, after the dismissal election, having it was, it was the first time I'd voted in 1975, and I voted Labor. I, I was outraged because of Gough. And then I thought... I remember sitting on, on, on the election, watching the election results come in, thinking... I am completely out of step with what is happening here. Why is that? And that was a process of of actually quite a long process of of trying to understand why I got it so wrong, and why the Australian population had turned off golf quite so so radically
0: yeah.
2: and so so quickly. Um, and 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 it really, I mean it was it was a very slow process so i actually i mean i thought that, you, that and lots of people did thought that Gough was a sort of charming and charismatic person but he did lose sight of what he was doing or yeah. what he should have been doing and uh, and some of the some of the scandals around funding and money at the time were so outrageous when you sort of when you sort of thought about it that it was just it was unconscionable to to support a government that would behave like that yeah
1: and so you've been in the role now for quite a few years. What mm-hmm. would you say is your favorite part of your political work
2: um, <laughs> <laughs> well actually i'll be i'll be you know apart from you know I've just said you know things like you know that that we shouldn't get bogged down in the theater of of the chamber and stuff like that, but I actually <laughs> love the theater of the debating chamber, mm-hmm. and when you know Yes, you know you're in opposition and you don't get many wins. And when you get a win, you really do enjoy it. And I did come back up last week after something had happened, and I said to my staff, "I think I enjoyed that too much." (laughs) Um, And but but even just the 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 contest of ideas in a formal debating chamber is. Is quite exhilarating. I, I really enjoy it, and I know that there are people who loathe it, who <laughs> find that sitting weeks are just they just, is just a sort of an agony that they have to get through. But yep. I actually enjoy sitting weeks.
1: And is debating something that you took part in at school or? Yes, I as, I, as, I, as
2: I did, I was always in the debating team. Um, um, I, I I like to sort of foster debating here when I and I think in, in the assembly I think that we could do student debating a lot better than we do here um, and I try to talk to young people about not so much the content but how they express themselves and and how they project themselves and things like because it's really interesting to you see if you know kids coming in and doing in their first and second debates and they've got this closely written script and they hold it up to their face and they read <laughs> very fast through this script and you're thinking, oh, you know, and if they only take a breath and relax and just... Because one of the things I... I, And I was really grateful one of my first staff members. You know, I was sort of saying, oh, I need a speech for... And he keeps saying, you know that. You don't need a speech. You need, you know, an aid memoir so that you don't forget anything. And those kids stand outside and talk about something that they're interested in yeah. without a script and they just but they feel that when they come into this they have us they have to have a script and and it's sometimes. sometimes it takes practice and it takes it takes it takes skill but it, most of all it takes confidence yeah and I it, so I think that I, I, I like to sort of it doesn't it doesn't matter what the debating topic is or anything like that it's about how how you engage in it and how you you, how you get to know the rules and, and give you confidence so that you it know, doesn't matter what the topic is, you can speak mm-hmm. on it.
1: You would see a lot of young people come through here in your work and also out in the community. Mm-hmm. How do you think we could be engaging young people in politics in a more meaningful way, especially in the ACT, where a lot of people are very well educated on the topics because their parents are in defence? or. Well, I think... Um
2: I think it's a bit of a myth that people are, you know, deeply engaged. I think that there is always a class of people and that's not, that's not a sort of an economical mm-hmm. description of people in, in terms of their economic or educational status. There are people who are interested in politics and it doesn't matter what their socioeconomic status is, they will always be interested in politics people also go through phases of whether they're interested in politics and I I mean sometimes people people are so busy I mean people are in when they're at university are interested in politics because well that's part of university life. People at school tend to be a bit um, or or groups of people are but I think that it's you know that there is a bit of a, a myth that we can go out there and pick a know a demographic group young people women um, ethnic people and make them engaged in politics Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that people have to come to it in their own way I think that the most effective way of doing that is for politicians to be authentically accessible Mm -hmm. I mean I think one of the things that Really sticks in my mind is that in the Legislative Assembly we have on a you know a quarterly basis or something a thing called the Speaker's New Citizens Night. So the people who've been have been through a citizenship ceremony in the previous six months or so get invited to an event where um, they get to meet the local members, they get to do a tour of the Assembly, have a glass of wine, a piece of cheese, etc. And it's really quite convivial and. People love it. And they come here with their kids and they end up in the chamber and they all say, is it all right
0: if we take a photo? Yes, it's all right (laughs) to
2: take a photograph. And they put their kids in the speaker's chair and they take a photograph. And this woman said to me one day, and, you know, it just shows how lucky we are in in Australia. And she came from, I would say, so I I recollect that that she came from India. And she said, where I come from, we never see politicians except at election time and then they come in a motorcade and the difference between that and what happens here in the ACT where you know you get asked about stuff over the Rockmillan's Mm -hmm. in 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 the IGA um, on a regular basis is you know it's just worlds away and and it's and the thing is that if you don't answer the question over the Rockmillan's in the IGA Mm -hmm. then you're you you're going to annoy that person and cause that person to be disengaged, and also cause everybody else who, around them yep. to be disengaged. It's about being authentically available to people and listening to them. Not you don't have to agree with them, but you have to give them a hearing.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about that experience because one of my friends actually became a citizen and got to vote for the first time at an election in the federal election Mm -hmm. just gone. Um, And it was the first time in his life he's ever been able to vote because he came from a country where there were no elections Mm. and it was just a dictatorship. And voting and democracy is this crazy far-off concept. And I think sometimes we forget about the fact that we are so lucky in Australia that we can engage yes. with our politicians and unfortunately for yeah. you it means that your grocery <laughs> <That's> shop <laughs> but,
2: that's what like, but that's what they pay me for. I yeah. mean I mean and and it's interesting actually because people will say, you know, I'd like to talk to you about X, not not I want to have that conversation now. Mm-hmm. And you can say, Well here's my card, ring me ring my office, someone will help you and it's usually you know, quite a brief encounter over Mm -hmm. the rockmelons, but it it often leads to to something else. But it is, you know, it's interesting because I had a a moment at the last federal election where I was was standing at a pre-poll booth and some, and I think it was a couple of days before the election and there were people coming to pre-poll and this woman came along and she was wearing a swing tag from a Commonwealth, so she had a Commonwealth swing tag on Mm. and she sort of came up and she was in a sort of tizz, it was it was a bit sort of stereotypical in a way. She kept, you know, oh, I don't know what to do. This is all so difficult, uh, and sort of putting her hands in her head, and, and where do I have to go? And I kept, and I just thought to myself, sweetheart, you don't understand how lucky you are mm. because you are in a country where you get to vote, yeah. and your voice is heard through the ballot box, and. Your voice—you're not in a situation where your your voice is drowned out by the sound of rifle fire. Mm. And I just—I just thought to myself, you know, once every three years, you're asked to do something which is very important for the future of the country. And I actually don't have a great deal of sympathy for those people who say, "Oh, it's too much trouble," or "Oh, it's so difficult," or Mm. it's—it isn't democracy. Is as little or as much as you want to put into it, and there are people around the world, billions of people around the world who would, you know, give their right arm to have what we have.
0: Yeah.
2: It may not be perfect, you know. Politicians get it wrong, um, but when they get it wrong, they can be voted out.
1: Yeah. And I have the utmost respect for the Australian Electoral Commission and the volunteers mm. for the AEC, as well as the party volunteers and the politicians like you that were there on you know, at pre poll locations mm. and on election day mm. to help support
2: Yeah. And, because and the voter generally speaking doesn't get it wrong. No. no. You know, you know, sometimes those of us more engaged are disappointed by the outcome. Mm-hmm. But they generally speaking don't get it wrong. Or they don't get it very wrong. They might they might not change the government when we think they should um but they usually do the next time round. Yeah. and you know they don't they they generally speaking don't get it wrong
1: and there was a big surprise this year at the federal election are we or oh, for some people i wasn't as shocked as some people were i wasn't as
2: shocked as some people i knew that it was possible yeah but i also knew that it was a hard road yeah. to get there but um it was that was pretty good are we going um, to see
1: something similar in 2020 at the ACT? I'm, I'm
2: very hopeful I'm very hopeful I mean there was very little in it in the 2012 election and the 2016 election you know a handful of votes 5,000 votes mm-hmm. gone the other way it, it would have been quite a different outcome yeah. so it's we are the the Canberra Liberals are close mm-hmm. um, and but that means you know for for some people politics is just about turning up but we have to we have to turn up with bills on we have to be utterly engaged we have to be in tune with what people are wanting i think that we are attuned to what people are wanting and, and i think that there is a high level of dissatisfaction that will bring about a change of government mm-hmm. and it will but it is it is for the most part it will be that the government changes because the government has lost faith faith with the people because they think that the other side's going to do a better job i think it is that that they will if they lose it will be because the, the people have lost faith and lost tolerance with the incumbent government yep. and that you can see where that's happening that's happening over rates and cost of living and and, and those sorts of issues and it's about how do we uh, engage with people on those issues
1: mm-hmm. And your shadow portfolios, both for health and arts, mm-hmm. um, have you been seeing any sort of thing in there that you think you'll be able to capitalise Look, on? Look, I think that
2: there is? is a huge level of dissatisfaction in the delivery of health in the ACT. That's not to say that people are dissatisfied with doctors and nurses. They're dissatisfied with the administration of health. They're dissatisfied with, you know, the government who keeps promising to build hospitals but doesn't build them. Um, and who says oh you know this has happened because we didn't anticipate I mean health planning is is not rocket science Mm -hmm. it's difficult but we have to but we have to put time and effort into it and we've we have very poor performance of our health department um, in a very rich country Mm -hmm. in the richest city in that rich country um, where most of the people who use the service live close by, We're, they're not providing rural and remote services or anything like no. that, but we are seeing poor planning resulting in poor outcomes and, it, and that has huge pressure on, puts huge pressure on the staff who, would, you know, who sometimes vote with their feet and go somewhere else. No. They'd rather work somewhere else and that's not good for us.
1: No, And of course we've met before mm-hmm. to speak about health yes. and with my yes. own personal experiences yes. yeah. so um, I was lucky enough you know, to be able to reach out to Elizabeth Lee and who is my representative yes. or yeah. one of my five and yeah. who came and joined me at a meeting with you to speak about that. Do you have a lot of community consultation of stories like mine?
2: Look, we have a story every day. Every day and twice on Sunday. No, no, it's it's it is amazing the number of people who will just come forward to tell their story as a, often as a symptom. Often that people come and say, "I don't want you to do anything about it,"
0: mm-hmm.
2: but you need to know. Yep. And there's there is a lot of that, and I mean we encounter that all the time. And I've and there has been the issue in in the ACT of of. Uh, culture in the hospital and Mm -hmm. I think that the last probably the last 18 months up until well up until probably the end of last year the 18 months before that was extraordinarily harrowing for my staff in particular who Mm -hmm. are the ones who pick up the phone before I do Mm -hmm. who were receiving the phone calls from people who were suicidal Mm -hmm. who were at the end of their tether who were bullied out of their positions and you know and or people who were just hanging on because, you know, they have they have to put bread on the table. Yep. Um, and and their health was declining because they were hanging on to a job which was just a misery for them. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very confronting mm-hmm. and very traumatic uh, to deal on a regular basis with people in such extreme circumstances
1: yeah and I think we forget that that happens in Australia because and especially in Canberra because as you said we're such a wealthy country and we're such a wealthy city here where do you think it's going wrong where do you think the
2: look I think that there's a there are pockets of institutional bad culture Mm -hmm. and you know you you see you used to see it in the military I think that that the military have have addressed it you see it in hospitals you see it um, often in uniformed organizations that there is there is a sort of hierarchical culture which gives a permission structure for bullying in a way because yeah. you know in a sense it's not really bullying its discipline um, there are and to some extent there are there are and, and sometimes you you have to be very careful that issues of Discipline and and um, monitoring and improving someone's performance isn't necessarily bullying,
0: no.
2: um, and we have to be mindful that sometimes people aren't good performers uh-huh. for a variety of reasons, and there are there should be proper ways of dealing with that. Uh, but there are, and that being said, there there is there is clearly in the ACT hospital. Uh, a culture of institutionalized bullying and and harassment, uh, which the which the reviewer said was typical of but worse than other hospitals. Mm-hmm. No, because you know it, it's not a, it's not the only hospital where this happens.
0: Yeah.
2: And it's it's very it's very difficult to do. But I mean you have to put yourself in the place of the person who is being harassed or bullied or whatever and, and think you know, what would that feel like? What would that be like? You know, you know, and, and it's, you know. Would, you know. Would I be prepared to put up with that? Mm-hmm. No, I wouldn't be prepared to put up. So, what do I do? You know, how do, I, how do I, run and you know, and this is for every manager. You know. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. It's, yep. You know, it's hackneyed, it's cliched, but it's mm-hmm. true treat people with respect because that's what you want to be treated that's how you want to be treated and it it is a it is a leadership matter it has to come from the top but it also requires real leadership which is to have an inquiry mind to when when someone says here is a problem you don't sit there and say no that is not a problem my brief tells me that that is not a problem Mm. you know you have to have an inquiry mind If somebody comes to you you know, half a dozen times and says, this is a problem. You can't just say, no, 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 it's not that you have to. And this was, I think this was the biggest problem with the bullying inquiry in the ACT. We went for ages where everyone was saying, no, 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 no. no It's not happening. We have respectful pathways. You know, I've been doing this job as a legislator for 18 years and I can probably relate half a dozen instances where as a parliamentarian i've been to a minister and said you've got a problem in this or that or the other place and they'll say no 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 no. you don't understand you don't no. understand you don't understand oh we're having an inquiry and oh look they were right there yeah. was a problem you know headed off at of the pass mm-hmm. you know, yes you might have to have an inquiry but if you initiated that inquiry because you had an inquiring mind mm-hmm. you'd be a whole lot better off than being dragged kicking and screaming to to something and then then sort of have to eat humble pie. Yeah.
1: Oh that's for it's
2: sure. Just, it's self preservation one yep. by one, but yeah. people don't get it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, you're about to make me do something that I really don't want to do and that's um, admit that my dad's right (laughs) because what
2: you said... are always right, (laughs) most
0: of the time.
1: (laughs) I'll have to make sure he doesn't listen to this episode. Um, Because what you said about it being in uniformed organisations and there just being a culture coming from the top and comparing it to the military, what it is in Mm. hospitals, is word for word what he said because his ex-army and Mm -hmm. you know once the drill sergeant took the recruits through something then the next the recruits that ended up being the next drill sergeants wanted to treat the recruits the same way and it's happening in hospitals with intern doctors and doctors doing their prac and nurses doing their prac that Mm -hmm. you know they get made to work 12 15 hour days and they're tired and they miss things and mistakes happen and
2: I think that is it is this sort of This sort of ritual of you. We have to be tough. We have to toughen people up. Mm. You do not want someone operating on you who's been on their feet for 15 hours. No. No. Not at all. No. (laughs) Or who's been on their feet for 15 hours for four or five successive days. No. It just doesn't make sense. And the idea that, well, when I was training, we did it that way, is not a good enough reason. No. It's not a good enough reason.
1: And I think, you know, we're trying to get better outcomes in health. We're trying to lower the amount of people that die from accidental deaths in hospitals. We're trying to lower the amount of people that are dying from non-communicable diseases, communicable diseases. And one way we've got to fix that is fix how we're treating them.
2: And we've got to fix how we're treating how we the people. Treat, <laughs> treat the people who are treating them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because, you know... People, will, people are people. We mm-hmm. always make mistakes, but we're more likely to make mistakes when we're tired, when we're stressed. And, you know, have to, you, you can't eliminate mistakes, but you need to eliminate as much as possible the circumstances which lead to people making mistakes. Sure. If you're clear-headed and well-nourished um, and you're in a situation where you can bounce an idea off somebody else rather than being in a silo you're less likely to make a mistake
1: yeah definitely and you've got this incredible shadow portfolio of health that Mm -hmm. you've got to deal with which is you know life or death in some circumstances Mm. and you've spoken about some of those phone calls you've had and then the arts is obviously very different to that it's It's probably (laughs)
2: less stressful it's it's the it's the little bit of pink icing (laughs) yeah that sort of uh, and look, uh, I just, I'm, I, I've never, I've never been an arts practitioner, or, if, or anything like that. But I do, um, I do, enjoy the arts and understand and value why it's valuable mm-hmm. and why it's important and why culture is important and and that sort of cultural expression is important. Um, and, uh, I, you know, and and. We are in in Canberra very lucky we do have a very vibrant arts community homegrown but we also are large enough to bring lots of performance and exhibitions and, and the like uh, and also we are as a community generally speaking well off enough to go elsewhere for arts experiences as well yeah. and it's sort of but it is it is a very important element of our Our culture to to be able to um, express for those people who need to express themselves artistically, but for us uh, who are less artistic to be able to enjoy the fruits of that expression. Yeah. Um, yeah, Which is, and uh, um, I sometimes scratch my head, I've got two children at art school at the moment. (laughs) I don't quite know how that happened, but. Um, so that uh, it is it is actually very important for me to sort of build a sort of a great a great cultural foundation for Canberra as well. Yeah.
1: And so you've been in this role for a while now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, do you see yourself staying here until your retirement, or?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I've I've announced that I'm not seeking re-election at the next election, um, but uh, you know, barring accidents or you know something completely unforeseen, I will mm-hmm. be here. Uh, until the next election uh, and then, yes, Lyle and I have plans to travel and do bits and pieces but Canberra and the region is our home. Mm-hmm. Most of our kids live here, uh, I've lived here for 40 years, Lyle for longer, um, and uh, and we we will, Canberra will still be our home. I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I grew up elsewhere but that's not my home. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, I grew up in central Queensland, but we're not going to central Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> it's too hot. <laughs>
1: um, and will you still be involved in the Liberal Party once you retire from... Yes,
2: but I, and I've, I've sort of made that offer, but it has to be on their terms, not mine. Yep. I, I don't want to be the sort of... The, the person who sort of comes around and says, what you need to do now is, mm. you know, when I was there, we it's... I want to be as available as they want me to be, yeah. rather than sort of coming along and imposing my personality on. Because you know, I, people will come after me, and they will have a different way of doing things. And, yeah. and you know, from time to time, I'll express my view, but it, but <laughs> but um, I you know. And also, the thing is that my experience is fresh now, but you know, in four or five years' time, it isn't. And you can't sort of necessarily say, well, well, back in the day we did X, so therefore you mm-hmm. should do X. That's just not, not fair. Yeah. So, yes, but I'll also be, you know, I'll still have to hand out how to votes and, and the like. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: And obviously mentor the um, next person that will come to fill your position.
2: Well, I mean, we'll have the, the parties in the process, started the pre-selection process, and I have said that I will be involved in the campaign as much as, as they need me to be, and I yeah. will be out campaigning... For the Gin and Derrick candidates Elizabeth mm. and whoever else there is yep. um, and uh, um, so I've got, you know, still got a fair amount of work to do until election time in October next year
1: yeah and where are your plans to travel
2: oh I have a long-standing commitment to walk the Camino de Santiago oh, and I I want to reconnect with my french studies and my italian studies so we'll spend a bit of time in europe um there are a few other places that we'd like to travel to before we get too old and crotchety to to travel yeah
1: Yeah. my parents were actually planning on doing the camino earlier this year until i got sick so Mm. they might be joining you on that next
2: year (laughs) actually my husband's done done about two-thirds of it already yeah um but we've never really. You know, I think you know a seven years, seven week slot to walk from the border to Santiago is is a big ask. You only mm. have to actually walk a hundred kilometres to Gets have to been, get. uh, to have walked on the Camino. But we're we're planning to walk the last three hundred odd kilometres. Yeah, because Lyle's walked from Pamplona to Leon, so I said I'll do Leon to to um Santiago. Santiago there's a few hilly bits in that it's done most of the flat area yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) gotta get your training shoes on yes
2: yes
0: yes
1: well thank you so much and I'd love to finish by maybe any words of advice for our listeners about engaging in politics and engaging in political parties and young people what they can do to make a change
2: well look I was I I grew up um, with people who were interested in politics and and the, the chap who is now dead, a fellow by the name of John, John o. Johnson, who was at one stage the President of the New South Wales Legislative Council, I knew from when I was about four or five that he used to say that what politics needs is, is, is fair-minded people to join the political party of their choice. After I joined the Liberal Party, I think I, I was told that he used to say the social justice party of their choice, mm-hmm. but I don't believe in that sort of dichotomy. I think that it is very important for people to be politically active, and but that doesn't mean that you have to be a Member of Parliament. There are lots of ways of being politically active. And I think that it is... And it, one of the things which I think is... a um, a bit of a problem is that in Australia political party membership is declining people, you know, people aren't joiners in the way that they used to be um, people you know service clubs have the same thing people don't join Rotary and they don't join the Labor Party for the same reasons there and they they don't feel as engaged with those sorts of organizations so I think it's incumbent upon the organizations to be more responsive to that but also, there are lots of people who are politically engaged, and they should join a political party if they, uh, and be engaged and try and influence the selection of candidates and the formation of policy, because otherwise the people who do, um, te- will tend to be the sort of overly ambitious who talk to, will be talking in an echo chamber. I think that really grassroots politics is very important. Yeah. Yeah, so fair-minded people join the political party of your choice. Don't, and but I honestly, I, I tend to be a bit of the view that you can be too young to be involved really actively in politics. There is a risk that um, you get your views formed for you yeah. rather than by you. And you, you know that you might end up in a group and that sort of your views become fixed by your association with that group at, mm-hmm. at too early a phase. I mean, you know, my, my political journey has been a long one. I, I, the views that I had when I was 16 are not the views I had when I was 30. Mm-hmm. But if i sort of joined a political party then, well, perhaps they would have been cemented and I may not have developed my ideas as much. Yeah. So it, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's horses for courses, but I do think that, that, um, that political engagement um, can come too soon.
1: Yep, and um, life experience definitely plays a big yes, role. yeah, yeah. In the shaping of political ideas and opinions. So,
2: but also the practicality of how you approach those ideas as well. Yes, definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, fantastic advice okay. for the next generation. Mrs Dunn, thank you so much for You're your time welcome. on the podcast. Thank you very much. And Thanks all well. the best for the next 12 months. Oh,
2: I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Thank you for tuning in to Politics Done Differently. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to hear more, please go back through our library for more insightful interviews. Please subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at PDDifferently. If you want to get involved in the conversation, please hashtag PDDifferently. We look forward to seeing you next episode.